This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon, the unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, award-winning pistols and revolvers. Mossberg, American-built, American Strong, and the Red 55 Winery in Lindale, Texas. Signature wines of Grammy Award-winning country artist Miranda Lambert and owned by Rick and Beverly Lambert. Right before the DSC convention, which happened not very long ago, I received my copy of, of Game Trails, their official magazine that I've been very fortunate to write in for a long time. And I opened up the magazine, and guess what? The very first article in the convention issue of DSC's Game Trails is Weird Stuff is Always Tough by Mike Arnold. It says, Nearly Skunked by a Mozambique Bush Pig. How about that? <laughs> Tell me a little no, bit about I, that. I, that. I actually uh, was, and I thought I had been, actually, Larry. And uh, I think my uh, PH, I say in that article, poor Bradger Thomason, he is my <laughs> PH. Uh, I, I've hunted in uh, Katata 11 a bunch of times. Yes, sir. Of course, I wrote that book about him, and I've, I've uh, been really fortunate to hunt most of the species they have there. But you know, the odd thing, I'm not sure why this occurred, is I've never had the same pH any time I've been there. And I, I, I'm wondering why. You know, I'm oh, think... asking them and they look furtive at me, you know, as if maybe, you know, it's they're drawing the short straw and not the same person has done it every time. But this time it was Bradger Thomas. So that, bless his heart, you know, I, he said, Now, Mike, what do you want to hunt? And I told him, and he looked at me like, well, don't make it difficult for me, dude. So. <laughs> the the one time that I had an opportunity at a bush pig, we were along a river somewhere in that close to that part of Africa, and that's when we found the bush pigs. Unfortunately, we were surrounded by herd elephants, and the pH I was with says, "You can shoot that pig, but we're probably going to get trampled by elephants if we do so." <laughs> I kind of backed off, and, and uh, that was the only uh, chance I've ever had. That story, and I called you a big wimp. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> Boy, I would have been, too. I would have been climbing a tree. I wouldn't have even shot the darn thing either, but I would have climbed a tree in spite of it if I was surrounded by elephants. Oh, my goodness. Well, it sure is sweet to talk to you again today, Larry. It, it is. We had an opportunity to visit a little bit at the recent DSC convention. What was your impression of, of the convention? And with that being said, you know we're going to be in your part of the country in 2025 when we're having to move to Atlanta. 
know, because they're tearing down the K. Bailey Hutchinson Center where for the last, I think, 11 or 12 years now, maybe even longer than that, we've had the DFC convention. Yeah, well, I, I will say, you know, of course, you know, my wife, Frances, was there, too. Yes. She's, she's a non-hunter, which is hilarious, because she goes on all my hunting trips and <laughs> photographs everything and talks to me about quilts and things like that. That's what her, what she loves doing. <laughs> exactly. While I'm trying to concentrate on shooting something. And, uh, but she, uh, she and I both agreed. We've been, she's been there many years as well with me, and we've done interviews, we did interviews interviews with uh, uh, Hornady Seth Swerzyk this time and had a wonderful time with him and and like you had, and I have discussed this is their 75th anniversary and boy do they deserve a big celebration I've used their products since I was a boy my daddy believed in Hornady bullets and used them and uh, you know when he passed away the Hornady bullet boxes that were in there were uh, amazing. But anyway, so we had a great time. But one of the things that Francis and I talked about, for whatever reason, this was the best DSC convention we've been to yet. And all of them have been great. I'll just tell you, we've had a marvelous time and meeting new people, but also seeing all the wonderful products and talking to outfitters. But I, for some reason, and it, it, it was probably because of your pre, your Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> you know, it just dawned on me. That was probably what made it just perfect. Well, you're, so. too, you're too very kind. Thank you. <laughs> No, I mean, it was a great convention, though. I'll tell you the truth. It, it really was. Just overall, we thought it was, I mean, I got to talk to foundation folks about conservation through hunting and all sorts of different things, writing white papers for them and and things that we're passionate about. Francis and I were talking about it. And uh, so anyway, that, it was a great convention. I, I totally agree. It, it, it to me, it's always been like a great big family reunion. This time, unfortunately, I got to spend very little time on the floor. And over the years, I've served as one of the DSC ambassadors, and it seemed like I had something to do almost the entire time of the convention. I got to spend maybe a grand total of maybe 30 minutes on the floor this year, which, <laughs> oh my gosh, and, and I, th I can't remember the number of, of booths that we had, but I asked some time ago how many miles of booth space, or how many aisles, miles of aisles there were, and I think it, somebody told me that they had officially clocked it at something over 20 miles of, of aisles. Oh, so, my goodness. Uh, well, I can believe it. You know, I tell you, I got home, and I was I felt like somebody had beaten me with a stick because <laughs> I'd walked up and down there going to interviews and doing, and speaking to outfitters and arranging you know, trips and hunts and stuff. And uh, I'm getting too old for that. No, 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 no. I need, a, no, I need no. a scooter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I thought about that very seriously. I, I was rooming with a very dear friend of mine, Jerry Baker, who Jerry and I have been friends since the 19, middle 1970s, I've guessed, nutted in Alaska and a bunch of other places together. And and uh, he was one of the guys manning the DSC Foundation, uh, a scary room booth that we had set up. And he, he and I were talking about, and neither one, one of us wanted to break down if we had to get out and do a whole lot to get a scooter, but uh, I, I think I would have probably been the one that finally broke down and said, okay, if I, I'm, well, I'm going to do it. The sidecar and I'll ride in it. I'll just tell you that. Well, that'll give us something to look forward to, among other things, here in Atlanta coming up next January. Yeah, January 25. Yep, absolutely. One of the things that uh, I, I got an opportunity to do is every morning we have an exhibitor breakfast where all the exhibitors can come in and have breakfast. And and I've been on that committee of, of greeters for a good number of years now. And that gives me an opportunity to talk to a lot of the folks that, who are really make up the DSC convention were it not for the exhibitors <clears throat> I don't think we'd have a very successful convention but those guys that I spoke with were all very happy it seemed like everybody I spoke with 
was booking hunts and and all those kind of great things. And we're having a great convention because of that. And, you know, we're very appreciative, not only of, of, from DSC, of the exhibitors, but our attendees as well, and particularly those folks who are, who are buying hunting and fishing trips and items because there were so many different uh, custom gun people there as well, too. And, of course, the, so many great outfitters, both from, well, not just from North America and Africa, but literally all over the world. So that's something if somebody has not been to, and with us moving to Atlanta next year, I really feel like it's going to open up a brand new market. I've, I've attended shows in Atlanta in the past, outdoor shows, but never anything that's going to equal or even come close to what DSC show is going to be. I, I agree with you, and um, you know now I'm. I told you at the DSC show this year <clears throat> that I'm biased, so I love coming west because I grew up in West, as you know, grew up in West Tex- yeah, Texas. Sure. So I'm going to miss that <laughs> uh, for the number of years that we're going to be in Atlanta. But I will tell you, it. I, I think it's like other shows that have gone east of the Mississippi for the first time. And they are amazed. Uh, They forget that this is a huge population, dense population over here, and a lot of hunters, a lot of hunting heritage over here east of the Mississippi. So I agree with you. I think Atlanta is going to be a wonderful, uh, wonderful place for the DSC to be for several years uh, before they can move back to Dallas when everything gets reconstructed. But uh, I'm looking forward to it, too. And I don't think there's going to be any uh, I really don't think there'll be any hesitation or stumbling in the step in terms of uh, the convention, in terms of numbers of folks. But I do bet you that you will have a whole set of folks who can drive to it i know my brother who's in kentucky is saying oh this is going to be and he likes going to dsc but he's a long way away from right. it and so he said oh that's going to be fantastic i'm going to drive down there and so i know there's going to be one person that's coming <laughs> that hasn't been routinely coming to the dallas shows so I got a feeling there are going to be a whole lot of those one persons that come. <laughs> you know, you mentioned growing up in. Uh, I think so too. Yep. You mentioned growing up in West Texas, over close to the Abilene area, and that was <clears throat> always one of my favorite areas. I worked there as a biologist for a while, and in in that north part of Texas, working statewide, but also that local area of, of several different counties there, and. Uh, where I'm going with this is you and I had a discussion not too long ago that you've never seen a whitetail buck rattled up? No, sir. I have to admit, I have never, well, except you on TV. <laughs> uh, that doesn't that count. Doesn't count, right? <laughs> I mean, but uh, I never have been uh, in a situation where we went out and, and rattled up a buck. Someone else rattled up a buck. I wouldn't know what the heck I was doing. But uh, no, I haven't. Boy, I want to. Okay. Well, you since you're not going to get to come to Dallas next year because of uh, our going east, maybe you need to come with me for a few days, a little bit before Thanksgiving time, and uh, see if we can't rattle up a buck somewhere in that western part of the state. Ooh, I tell you what, I'm I'm ready right now. I'll go get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, if, if 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 the bucks were coming to horns right now, and I know they're antlers, but when we're talking about rattling, they're always it's not rattling antlers, it's rattling horns kind of thing. If they were coming right now, I'd I'd been sending you a, a plane ticket to say I'll meet you in San Antonio or Midland, Odessa or Abilene. And, you know the, the the interesting thing. One of the people was talking to me. Were talking to me about hunting and. West Texas, hunting whitetails in West Texas. <clears throat> and it was actually one of the PH's wives from Katata 11. Oh, really? And, and they were from Texas, actually. And uh, anyway, I was talking to this gentleman, and he was saying, yeah, well, you grew up around Abilene. Boy, that's a honey hole for whitetails. And I, and I laughed. Because, of course, I was born in 1957, and uh, so I grew up in the Abilene area uh, from then on, you know. And I said, you know, the interesting thing is I never saw a white-tailed deer growing up. I said, (laughs) I remember one time seeing uh, that we saw tracks one time in my and i was out in the woods all the time uh growing up we were out in the country we lived out in the country and i said i never saw a white tail 
uh, anything my entire growing up. And he said, you're kidding me. And I said, no, but right. You're, I said, you're exactly right. That whitetail population is enormous in that area now. And it is one of the honey holes, <laughs> you know, people have deer leases all over the place, but it is hilarious. We had to go a long way to find whitetails when I was growing up. I shot mine in San Saba area yes, sir. with daddy, with my dad. So, well, it's, it, you're right. It's interesting. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll have talked to people, and they'll talk about white-tailed deer here, of course, here in Texas, and I've been involved with it for a long time. But what people don't realize, not until the middle 60s, late 60s, and really into the 70s did a lot of these deer populations start blossoming. And, and some of them, and such in that area where you're talking about, they didn't really start increasing until almost into the late 1970s, early 80s. But now they, they truly are that. It, it is. It is an absolutely fantastic area to go go hunting in. Of course, there are a lot of hunting leases, and as you well know, 90-some-odd percent is, is privately owned land here in Texas. But uh, I'm here officially inviting you to come to my hunting lease over out west of San Angelo, and we'll do that during the time frame this coming year when uh, you and I can both get away when they are coming to Horns because I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, to – I'll show you how I do things while we're in camp and then I'm going to hand you my rattling horns and we'll go out and see what we can get rattled up. Oh my goodness. You know, they're going to say, can they believe that they really think they sound like us? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's amazing. Uh, I've rattled up. I'll give it a go, though. <laughs> you, well, you're officially invited, by golly. I've rattled up bucks with everything from cedar sticks to rattling horns to, you know, all kinds of things. When they come, they're they're coming and they're they're wanting to come. And one of the reasons I'm talking about the rattling things, I know that you have been to Europe several times. And I've got a hunt planned this year uh, with an outfitter in Finland to hunt white-tailed deer. I think it's uh, the dates are like October 31st through the 5th or 6th of, of November. And that apparently is when their rut is going on. And, and one of the reasons that I've been invited is they want to see if I can rattle up a buck in Finland. Now, we'll, we'll see how that goes because uh, I'll have to try to, when I grunt, I guess I'm going to have to do so with a European accent. <laughs> <laughs> I started to say, you better start taking those Finnish courses right now <laughs> trying to figure out you know, how to do that. But, oh, that, that'll be fascinating, actually. there's I mean, there's really no reason reason why they wouldn't i assume i mean if if they have that same behavior i i would i I would as a biologist i would be flabbergasted if they don't come in but heck maybe they won't well maybe they won't we'll see you know there are times even in deep south texas or in here in texas hill country when i would have thought they were going to come to horns like crazy they didn't but a lot of times it's an interesting thing because i've been out on those perfect mornings when it was the rut was just kicking off strong there'd been a cold front that came through it rained a little bit the wind it kind of quit it's crisp it's cold hit the antlers together or the horns together and nothing shows and then make a big circle and come back almost to that exact spot three hours later and you get covered up with deer so i have still to figure out what it is that actually triggers that buck to all of a sudden decide we're in the just two hours earlier he wouldn't he pick up his head to listen to the sound of antlers being hit together to uh to coming in at a dead run so we'll we'll see because when i go to finland i am going to rattle pretty much off and on all day and hopefully good lord willing you know he'll let me rattle up maybe at least one buck where i can say i did rattle up a whitetail buck in europe Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know what? If they came in every time, it'd be called shooting instead of hunting. <laughs> it, it would, but it sure is nice when you have a day where they do come in every time when you march together. <laughs> And again, I mentioned Europe because I know that you have been to Europe and and hunted roe deer. And I'm sitting here in my office and I'm looking at the mount of a, of a, of a roe deer that I shot in. Uh, I've got I've, I've hunted him in several places over there, not as many places as I want to yet. But uh, I shot one in Sweden several years ago, and I shot it on a on a slope, kind of a pretty flat slope where if I looked across the bay, I could see Copenhagen. And it was just an absolutely fantastic hunt as far as I'm concerned. Those little deer totally fascinate me. 
you know, they are, I'm hooked on them. I'll tell you, Larry. I mean, I, you know, we're going, Francis and I are going back to, to, well, we're going to England and we're going to hunt, uh, in March, we're going to go and hunt, as you know, we're going to hunt Chinese water deer and muntjac, two introduced species, but we're going to be seeing Robux and roe deer there. And I'm going to be so tempted. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> they are a fun, spe- like you said, they are a fun species to hunt. They, you know, they remind you sort of, you know, they remind me of a mixture of white tailed deer and pronghorns because, uh, we saw them out in the open. They would be gathered together. Now we weren't there in the rut, okay? Or you know, right. and so we. The the fascinating thing is the one I got was an old male, uh, old roebuck, really ancient roebuck, but he was with a bunch of does. And and uh, my my guide Stefan was saying this is weird. You know, he said it, that he shouldn't be with these <laughs> with these females right now. And when we shot him and got up to him, he was so darn old, he didn't even have brow tines. He had regressed. He is beautiful. In fact, I wrote an article because when I walked up to him, when we got to him, uh, Stefan said, you know, you know what you've done? And I said, I didn't know what I'd done. You know, I said, he's got antlers so it must be a, a male <laughs> so I couldn't have made that boo-boo right. and uh, he said well you've killed what the Germans call a Mordbach and I said what is that and he said it's, it's German for murder buck and oh, I yes. said well the Germans always were really a sensitive kind people <laughs> and so I said why do they call it that and he said well you notice it's so old that it doesn't have the brow tines on it there's a lot of mass it's beautiful it's got oh it's just got a so much character to him and uh he said but because it doesn't have those brow tines when he gets in a fight there's nothing to stop those horns going right through the other male and uh and so it kills it and so you're you actually did the other you know robux uh, a uh, um a uh, you're saving their lives. And yes. I said, well, that's, that's nice, you know, that I did that. But anyway, so I wrote this article about that. And, but I sent a photo, I got to tell you, he's so darn old and he's so gray and everything. And I sent you the photo and yes. but you were kinder about it. One of my editors uh, from a magazine, I sent it to him and John wrote back and said, did his dentures fall out when you <laughs> shot him? <laughs> And I said he was being sarcastic, but he was also like that is a perfect animal to take. Way past reproductive, prime reproductive age and all this sort of stuff. But I you know, when he stood up, he was laying down. He, we waited on him for a half an hour. Uh, he was across, he was about hundred and forty yards away, and when he stood up um, you know, he dropped to the shot, and I'm so proud of him. I'm, I can't, I don't have him yet. You you have yours. I don't have him yet. They're doing him in a uh, taxidermist that was recommended by the guys and gals over there, and so I'm waiting. I'm waiting on him to come in. I'm looking forward oh, to yeah, it. Yes, I, I know the taxidermy uh, company you're talking about. They do an absolutely great job as well, too. And and I've had a couple of things done by them when I, I was hunting over there. I've been very fortunate. I've hunted. A whole bunch of different critters over in Europe, but I have to say that roe deer, and and I don't know what my fascination of them is. Like white-tailed deer, every buck is a little bit different, uh, and I've hunted them in the rut. Actually, I hunted them in the rut one year just outside southeast, I think it was, of London in England, and uh, we were using one of the what they call the Boodle call, and we called in some roe deer, but the the bucks that we called in were not the ones we were looking for and my, my agreement with the uh, the landowner whose property I hunted is we were looking for like two or three different really old bucks and uh, I was very fortunate and the one I took was just a phenomenal deer and of course that was the first one I took and and gosh then I was hooked <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know the like I say it's fun because as we were you probably found this as well we were on uh, Jordan Burger Gods is what the name of this property was, and Gods 
uh, is is an it's uh, Swedish for estate, and um, so this was you know open pasture land. Of course, no fences or anything. It was just plowed fields, and actually, it had been harvested recently. Right. And walking walking across them reminded me of being a kid in plowed fields in West Texas, mostly for dove and hunting for dove and quail, actually. But uh, uh, you would see them grouped up, laying down really? in the furrows. Uh, out in the sun, and that's why I say they reminded me a little bit of prong right, because right. they were out in the open. Now, we busted some out of little woodland pockets that you'd be familiar with, too, Larry, and because you've hunted that area, and, you know, you'd bust them out of there, and, of course, they were gone before I could ever get a scope on them. But uh, most, most of the ones we spotted were not in woodland areas there uh, per se, but rather out in the plowed fields, like I say, and laying down and getting up and grazing a little bit and then laying back down again. The the one that I shot in Sweden that I was spoke, speaking of where I could see across the bay to basically Copenhagen, he was in an open field, but he laid down underneath a big power line transmission tower. And we worked our way close in, close in, and and thinking that, you know, I might get a shot when he stood up. Well, when he stood up, it was like he's up and he's gone. <laughs> and he, thankfully, he ran out about about 200 yards or so and slowed down to kind of turn around to see what the heck it scared him. And that's when I w- was able to take him. And, and I actually shot that one with a 375 Ruger with a 300 grain DGX Hornady, Hornady bullet. You weren't overgunned at all. No, no, no. Heavens no. That, that, I think he ended up probably field dressing about 60 pounds maybe or something like that. He would, you know, they're not very big body deer, but uh, he was an absolutely beautiful deer. Like you said, he had a lot of age on him and he had had decent time length. He was just absolutely a gorgeous representative of that area. Now, one thing that's really unique about roe deer, and particularly the females, a lot of times the, the rut occurs in the springtime, but there is delayed implantation of that embryo until later on in the the late summer that's kind of a unique thing isn't it 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 is you know and now it's interesting because you find it in you find it in some animals not not just of course the in the deer clan right it isn't it isn't common it isn't common and it makes sense because if you do delay that you have an extra of chance of losing it and so you know there it has to you know the mother has to stay in good shape and etc etc so no and i will say one thing though i didn't know that about roe deer i I appreciate you sharing that because i didn't i did not know that about their biology yes sir it, it is i mean they'll hold that embryo sometimes three or four months or at least three months a lot of times i know that in in some areas their their rut supposedly is in may and a lot of times that embryo won't attach until that late late summer so that during the winter time she's carrying that fawn as a as a fetus kind of thing and then I'll be and then born a little bit later so they're fascinating yeah they're 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 truly fascinating in so many different ways i know that there have been people who tried to bring them across from Europe to to uh, you know introduce some of the game ranches here but to the best of my knowledge there's nobody ever been able to successfully do that they apparently even though they're very very tenacious on those kind of movement things they they don't live very long hmm. do you think that they're picking up I mean you're you're great biologists out there especially i mean are they picking something up from diseases and things that, it, that knock them out from ticks or something i, I just wonder I, I don't know most most of them never survive long enough to make the trip from europe to wow. the u.s okay. so you know i'm sure there's something innate or that that triggers uh my gosh, you know, the, the, the fact that they don't live, but uh, nobody's ever to this point that I'm aware of have been able to figure out exactly why that's been. But there are no uh, road deer in North America other than those hanging on the wall somewhere. <laughs> 
What what have you got coming up? Uh, and and I'm serious about this rattling thing that's coming fall because yeah, it's hard to say. Well, I have a hunt for whitetails uh, in the fall. I hear yes. So I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that one. You know, we do. I mentioned I mentioned England. Uh, yes, be hunting. I. So, you know, we've already geeked out just a little bit being biologists and everybody is going, oh, no, not again. <laughs> but, I mean, the when I was growing up as a mammalogist in, at Texas Tech University, when I was there as an undergrad and as a master's student, one of the things I did is I got into genetics and that's, right. that's what I do, right? Yes. And we were studying chromosomes and that sort of thing. And I learned about muntjac uh, back then and the fact that they had this weird uh, genetic system where some of them have two, you know, they only have six chromosomes. And then in the same group, they'll, they have uh, species that have 42 or 44 chromosomes. So they've had this major genetic uh, revolution in some of these lineages leading <clears throat> or having, you know, in these species. And so um, I became fascinated with them. And as a hunter, I'd always wanted to hunt one. Right. And so I got the opportunity to go to England and they're introduced there, but they're, uh, you know, free range. I mean, they're all over the place. In fact, they're an invasive species. You probably know that. Uh, they're doing a lot of damage to the ecological settings over there. They reproduce like mad. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, I mean, they, their whole rut system and all that is very different from, you know, what we have over here with white-tailed deer. But at the same time, I found out about Chinese water deer, which is also an introduced form over yes, there. Sir. And I thought, you know, while I'm there, I'd like to hunt both species. Now, will we get every both things? I don't know. But both of those species, they're not related at all, as you know. But both of those species have, quote-unquote, fangs. They're fanged deers, and, and they have these incisors that grow great lengths, especially on the Chinese water deers and the males deer, and the, the males use them to fight when they're in the rut and they're you know, around a female that's in season and they'll slash the heck out of one another. And so they both have these fangs on them. Chinese water deer don't have antlers. Uh, Muntjac do, but they both have these fangs. Uh, Muntjac don't grow the the length that Chinese water deer do. The Chinese water deer really do like look like Dracula. Uh, on they have these really long fangs that come out of their mouths when they're when they're mature. Uh, that grow out of their mouths. So anyway, so that's the one thing we're going to Canada for a black bear hunt in right. June. Uh, we organized that at DSC. Actually. Perfect. Um, and that's going to be a really neat trip because uh, the reason we're going there, this is part and parcel to what, what I write on. They're not only doing conservation, but they're doing a lot of community outreach. And I, I mentioned this to you, Larry. I hope right. you can get up there, too. This is a group that works with First Nation folks and their whole outreach is to try to rescue kids from a pattern of drug usage uh, in that area that's that's uh, really tearing the people up and has torn the people up so they're and the way they're doing it which is great for hunters is that they are teaching them taking them out in the woods and teaching them to be guides and outfitters in their area so that they can have a whole group of folks who are who grew up there and love that area who can end up being guides and outfitters for us hunters who and so they're doing it that way so that's going to be wonderful i'm I'm looking forward to the black bear hunt don't get me wrong but i'm really looking forward to meeting these kids and meeting their mentors and just i mean i'm blown away by the amount of folks who are care about other people i i really am that's a fantastic pro what what province is that in it's in British Columbia. Yeah. And the the name of the actually the name of the outfitter there that I'm talking about and and this is an outfitter that Roland Ward works with. Okay. And they have different outfitters right. uh, all around the world. 
Um, you know, I, the people I hunted with in Cameroon, you know, in uh, Milo Deary, that outfitter is one of Roland Ward's partners working with the local communities as well as conservation. But this, this outfitter is Driftwood Valley Outfitters. And um, like I say, they, I met the kids last year, not this, not this DSC, but they brought a bunch of their uh, kids down who were in this program. And I met them last year and, you know, uh, sweet kids and really, really excited about what they were getting to do, you know, with the guiding and and learning things. And so I, I, I was blown away. What a fabulous program. uh, That benefits everybody (laughs) when you get right down to everybody i mean us hunters i mean because you know Dern. I mean, it's like the, the the African trackers I work with. Yes. I mean, they're magicians, and these guys and gals who are there in Canada and British Columbia in this area, they you know they eat. You and I both know they eat and breathe this stuff, and and so honest to goodness, they're going to be you know some of them will be better than others, but some of them are going to just be master craftsmen and women at this stuff, <laughs> and it, it'll it'll really benefit me when I. Go up there, they have to, you know, a stumbling, bumbling client, oh, and you know, they they have to still make, you know, make up for me. That's what I always tell my trackers. Well, you know, you better make up for me, dude. We're never going to find that Cape Buffalo. So, <laughs> but anyway, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And then in well, in June, you know about, or sorry, April, you know about this too. Yes, we're 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 actually going and hunting Aldad and Avelina in uh, the Trans-Pecos area. And, and you're going to laugh at me. I've never been to the Trans-Pecos. I grew up in Texas, and oh I've my never gosh. been to the Trans-Pecos. You, knowing what you, how you feel about different parts of Africa, you are going to absolutely love it, is all I can tell you. <laughs> I can't wait. I mean, I love that kind of country, but I just, you know, believe it or not, it's a big state. <laughs> yeah, Texas, Texas is a big state. Of course, I, I know who we're going with. I, I, I know, actually, you're hunting. I'm just going to come watch and photograph and, and, uh, and, and uh, <laughs> gut and skin Havelina and, and, <laughs> uh, I know you're going with Greg Simons with Wildlife Systems, and Greg and I have yeah. been friends. I've known Greg since he was uh, just out of Texas A&M University, and a great wildlife conservationist beyond being an outfitter and guide. And then the uh, guide that you're hunting with, I'm pretty sure, will be Jackie Murphy. And here in Texas and a few other places, he's kind of known as Mr. Audad. Jackie loves Audad more than any individual I've ever run into, and he is the most knowledgeable person that I know about Audad as well, too. And you're right. There are some javelina there, and actually Luke Clayton and I are looking at doing another book uh, about hog hunting and javelina hunting. So I am very keen on going out there with you so we can photograph some javelina, get you hunting javelina, and and, uh, get some photographs and get some stories out of all that. Well, the only, you know, my only has, I've got two major hesitations. Now, my guide, I believe, used to be a CPA with big eight firms. Is yes. that correct? Yes. Francis told me it serves me right. You know, so Francis worked for his big eight firm. She's a CPA. My wife, Francis, yes. worked for a big eight firm. And she said it serves me right for all the jokes I told about CPAs <laughs> all these years that I'm now going to be out going out there and being guided by an ex. <laughs> CPA. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to be at least with two Aggies. And that really is, you know, I, I don't even know what I can do because I can't tell any of my jokes. <laughs> well, you can tell them, uh, but uh, you might end up, you know, that proverbial garho. <laughs> I know. I, the gunshot you just heard <laughs> did not come from your firearm, but one of these other guys. Oh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I can't wait. That is going to be so much fun. I totally agree. That That's my highlight trip of the year, and, and I'm not even going to carry a gun on that one because that hunting those odd dad, I've, I've hunted out there, and I think probably on the same ranch that we're going to be hunting and, and have been familiar with that property for a long, long time. There are a lot of odd dad there. It is like hunting desert bighorn sheep 
only thing is different is instead of maybe seeing 10 or 15 total, you'll could have the opportunity of seeing, you know, many, many, many. I, when I was out there the last time with Jackie, I ended up the last I kept holding off and and finally shot one kind of the last afternoon. But uh, we put the stock on, I don't know how many different sheep. And, of course, Jackie goes, well, he's not heavy enough. He's not wide enough. He's not long <laughs> enough. He's not that 30 inches kind of thing. And I, the whole time I was saying, man, he, he's got great shafts and they're so majestic looking anyway. But in the process of that he and i were driving from one mountain range to another and there were over 200 sheep in this one band and we watched them cross from that one range to the other got in there and got right in amongst them and they were all young rams young rams meaning up to about uh, most of them were like from 26 to 28 29 inches long <clears throat> that was about Four years ago, those sheep now will be well above, <laughs> above 30. And uh, so I can't wait to get back out there and see if we can find some of those that we we left. Because, again, they're so much fun to hunt. And they've got great eyesight. And they're very tenacious. And, and uh, they can be tough to hunt, but great, great fun. And generally, you can get within 300 yards or less without a whole lot of problem if you kind of really take your time and don't get anxious and moving because very seldom do you see just one or two there's usually 10 15 20 or more and so they've got eyesight just like any other uh, mountain goat or, or mountain sheep does and they uh, uh it'll be fun they know you're after them yes so, you know, that's, <laughs> now i'm bringing i will tell you i'm bringing two mg arms rifles with me uh two Perfect. ultralights one is a seven millimeter for uh hunting the sheep with and then the other one's a 6.5 uh creedmoor that they sent me and asked me if i would review for them uh, but also i'm using it in england on these little guys Perfect. and not and hornady is you know, sent me a bunch of ammunition, but also Nosler is sending me some ammunition. So we may have to get you behind for an Havelina at least. May get, have to get you behind that rifle at some point. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'm serious, you I'll, know, and let you let you pop one, and um, then you can write about that too. <laughs> I, I will. I'll visit with Greg about all that. You know, uh, MG Arms. I had an opportunity to run into them. Of course, they're always at DSC, and and I got to spend about an hour and a half down at Houston at the Houston for a show this this past weekend when we're recording this and got a chance to uh, to visit with them for just a little bit as well too they build an unbelievably fantastic custom rifle they really do i i, I you know in fact the outfitter in sweden seven was you know i had to commiserate with him because i own one and uh had brought it with me right and he said you know you could leave that here and i said well i could <laughs> but i'd get arrested on the way out and yeah. uh and then when i arrived at home they'd want to know where it was too <laughs> but anyway he was trying to purchase one at, at very recently and could not make it happen just simply because of uh I think it was importation there. You know, trying yes. to get a new license uh, is, uh, we are so fortunate here. Oh, my you gosh. Know, you and I can go out and buy an MG Arms uh, or somebody else's rifle, but, you know, or handgun or whatever, and we don't have to worry about that. But anyway, he, that was why he couldn't get a hold of one. But I I love their products, and I tell you what, I love the fact, as I get older, I love the fact that the darn things are so light. Uh, I <laughs> really do i mean lugging them up and down hills is a whole lot easier and they were actually designed the interesting thing is uh carrie o'day and carol o'day are really good friends of ours and when i was did the very first review for them years and years ago mm -hmm. of an ultralight and uh carrie said uh i don't guess you've ever hunted in the selway uh river area in idaho and i said I said, Carrie, ironically, my very first uh, wilderness hunt was in that area for a black bear. Oh, my goodness. And he said, and he said so you know what that area is like. And I said, <laughs> yeah, it almost killed me. And I was, you know, 25 years younger climbing up and down those hills and, and you know, darn near falling off those hills. And, uh, and he said, well, I designed this rifle because of that area, because that's an area you go in, you're carrying a rifle, you're carrying a handgun on you, on 
your on your belt. You're carrying your pack. You're carrying your water. You're carrying all this stuff. And he said, by the end, you don't even have your handgun and rifle with you because you've thrown those away <laughs> because you're so worn out. And he said, I designed this after hunting there. So it was an interesting story. I said, man, I understand that because it really and those I know I'm making a big deal about them being light, but they're so darn accurate. They yes. are, they also are the rifle that I just uh, earned my one mile uh, medallion. I shot a 50 BMG. MG Arms, right. range rifle out in South Carolina. You know about this, Larry. And so I, I hit a target. Well, I actually hit it a bunch of times. I got 0.5 MOA off of one of their, their 50 BMG rifles at one mile on two groups for 0.5 MOA. That's how accurate their rifles are. Oh, my gracious. So I wouldn't I wouldn't talk them up if they, just because they were light. They, they are just, I haven't touched one of their rifles yet that wasn't so darn accurate that I, you know, I, I knew when I boo-booed, let's just put it this way. <laughs> You're right. The, 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 I, I have one that uh, Carrie and Carol built for me, gosh, back in the 90s, and actually built it for me for my first trip to Africa. And I was, when I picked it up, I thought, this thing doesn't weigh anything. You know, and the barrel's not very big barrel. It's not very big in diameter. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is probably one of those guns that I can shoot one time. I better make that first shot count because the second <laughs> shot, that barrel's going to be kind of be falling down at the end a little bit, you know, because of the heat. And yet I, I learned very quickly that I could shoot pretty hot. I'm not pretty hot, real hot, 300 wind mag loads through that thin rifle barrel and three shots, I could clover leaf at 100 yards. And talking about where all three were, were touching now, once I got into that fourth and fifth shot or, in, you know, with a really, really hot barrel, that uh, group opened up a little bit. But even when it was, the barrel was really, really hot, I was still shooting less than two-inch groups. Well, and for hunting, you know, that's the thing for us. I, I go out and review these like you do. I uh, go the go review these on the range, and I have to let them cool off so I right. can actually do a decent job from 100 to 400 yards of reviewing the rifle appropriately on, you know, any rifle that's got that thin barrel like you're talking about. But, of course, for hunting, we, we are making that first shot count. And if we have to take two shots, then you're still not in trouble. But, uh, yeah, there – I mean, I, I wrote them the other day when I was out on the range. I was doing both rifles, getting ready for – well, getting ready for our out right. Havelina hunt later on, but also for England. And, you know, just out to 400. And I, I don't shoot off the bench. I'm, I'm like you. You know, once I get it sighted in, I don't shoot off the bench. I shoot off of my uh, four stable sticks yes, sir. that Lillian Camelay's uh, outfit puts together. Yes, and, sir. And I've always, you know, I swear by them. But I shoot off the standing stable sticks uh, with anything, and and their rifles are really accurate all the way out to 400 yards. I did, I did ride them the other day, and I wrote my outfitter in England, and I did say, knowing the size of Chinese water deer and the uh, mudjack are like they've been described by biologists as the size of a large uh, collie. So, you know, they're, they're small. They're small little animals. And I said, I did demonstrate that I really don't want to shoot at them at 400 yards off of these. <laughs> Even prone, I don't want to be shooting at them. At that, you know, but the groups were good enough, but not on something that small. Well, I got a feeling I, I, when I hunted in England, we did hunt Munt Jack. Unfortunately, the area that we were in, they were not very plentiful. And, and both those species, I'll have to say I'm a little bit jealous because they're both on, on my list of, of things that I still hope to do here in the not too long distant future they're so unique in so many different ways and, and I don't know I doubt very seriously that they can be hunted in their natural native habitat anymore or possibly they can but if they can I'm not aware of that fact yeah, the, the mudjack you can find in places in Nepal, yes. I know, uh, up in the Himalayas. In fact, that's the first place I'd ever, that's the only place I've ever seen one out in nature is Francis and I took a, a 
trek up to Annapurna Base Camp back when I was younger. And, uh, you know, we went up to 18,000 feet. Oh, my and goodness. At one of the tea houses we were sitting in, this animal came out of the, the right. brush line. Francis said, what is that? And I said, sweetheart, that is a muntjac. I said, I have never seen one. And, you know, looked at it through my binoculars. And th- that's the only place i've seen them you can hunt them there but i will tell you i looked into doing that and i thought i can't afford to do this you know i mean geez louise it was it was too expensive for me right anyway. the folks can do it you oh, know really? there okay. are people who are more well like you larry oh of course yes i'll, I'll just book eight or ten um, hunts you know i i just couldn't and also they're you know it's pretty tough i mean you have to you have to be probably a little bit better shape than i am now but uh to climb those mountains but anyway that's the only place now the chinese water deer they've been reintroduced from i think from england uh area uh, from england back to china because they were actually extinct back in there where they you know came from uh and as far as i know they're not huntable there, and they right. probably shouldn't be. Uh, not yet, anyway. Well, one of, one of the many reasons why hunting is true conservation when you get right down to it is you just illustrated it there with the the fact that they are shipping those animals back to their native land where they yep. no longer exist. And hunters absolutely. have paid for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They've gotten them back in there and... Uh, and also, there's another species that we ran across in Sweden. I bet you did too. The pair David steer that yes. are, were extinct in China and now are back there because they've shipped them back over as well. Yes, sir. Uh, again, that's what hunting does, Mike. Unfortunately, Absolutely. I just looked up to see what the clock says. I know you've got a class you got to go teach in just a few minutes. <laughs> I do. I have to go torture some students. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I want to tell you what a great pleasure it is to have you on the uh, around the campfire. I, I will be bugging you before too very long and uh, get you back on and, and want to hear about the, the, the of course, the uh, muntjac and, and uh, the uh, fanged uh, Chinese water deer kind of thing. And then truly look forward to hunting with you out there in West Texas for all that. And then we'll... Well, while we're there, we'll put some dates down for uh, the best rattling times in West Texas. But uh, in the meantime, you write books, you write magazine articles, you do so many different things for wildlife conservation and, and for hunters. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you for your book, for uh, bringing back the line, and, and possibly a little bit of information about the new one that you're working on? Absolutely. They can go to MikeArnoldOutdoors.com and uh, just type that in. It'll pull up the website and and there's contact information there and they can get a hold of me there. I am speaking at various places just like you do uh, coming up. And if we happen to run into one another, please come up and say hi. Mike, thank you so very much. Don't torture those students too very much. <laughs> Having uh, been one of those, it seemed like years I'll ago. I'll be a granddad, too. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> well, give Miss Francis a hug for us, and uh, we'll catch up with you around the campfire here before too very long. Thank you, Larry. DSC's Campfires has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas. Habit, our gear, your adventure. The Texas Wildlife Association, Double Nickel Taxidermy, Burnham Brothers Game Calls, and H3 Whitetail Solutions.